Hello, people. Welcome to episode two of the DCEM Project podcast. Today, we shall be talking about one of my favorite drugs, ketamine, and what our experience has been like using this wonder drug. Today, I have with me Drs. Vasil and Meghna, who you've already met in the first episode, and Kushagra, our chief resident, to talk about ketamine. Let me start with Vasil. How are you doing today? Very well, thank you. Excited to talk about our favorite drug. So am I. Why don't you tell us a little about ketamine to begin with? So let me start with a trivia. When was ketamine first used in humans? 1965. Mm, that's right. It was then a fancyclidine derivative known as CI581 and was used on 20 male prisoner volunteers. That sounds interesting. Yes, earlier it has been experimented on dogs and monkeys, but this was the first time it has been used on humans. And what did the authors find? So the study showcased the safety profile of ketamine. It produced anesthesia and analgesia, but there was a minimal respiratory depression as well. I'm sure our listeners would like to know a little bit more about ketamine, Vasil. Hmm. Ketamine basically is a medication primarily used for induction and maintenance of anesthesia. So it induces anesthesia, a trance-like state that provides pain relief, sedation and amnesia. And how is it different from other anesthetic agents? So basically, it preserves breathing and airway reflexes. And on the other hand, it stimulates the heart function with a rise in the blood pressure and moderate bronchodilation. So these are the features which distinguish it from other drugs. I also believe that this is the only drug that provides the full spectrum of analgesia, amnesia, anxiolysis and anesthesia. Hmm, that's true. So would you like to tell us as to how ketamine works on our body? So basically, it's an NMDA blocker and it's similar to its parent drug, which is fencyclidine. The onset of action is as quick as 30 seconds if it's given intravenously and 3 to 4 minutes when it's given intramuscularly. The duration of action is 5 to 10 minutes when it's given intravenously and 15 to 25 minutes when it's given intramuscularly. But the most important point is the dissociative phase, which lasts for more than 20 minutes. Regarding the metabolism, it's metabolized in the liver and it is eliminated majorly in the urine. So at lo- uh, lower sub-anesthetic doses, ketamine can be a promising agent for pain and shorter procedures? Yes, it's a drug of choice for short-term procedures where muscle relaxation is not required. It suppresses breathing much less than most of the available anesthetics. But what about full-blown anesthesia? Mm, the use of ketamine in anesthesia reflects its characteristics. When used at anesthetic doses, ketamine usually stimulates rather than depresses the circulatory system. Protective airway reflexes are preserved and it's sometimes possible to administer ketamine without protective measures to the airway. So it seems that this wonder drug that we have actually has no side effects? No, that's not the case. At anesthetic doses, 10 to 20% of the adults experience emergence reaction. And uh, would you care to shed some light as to what these emergence reactions mean? Uh, So basically, these are the psychiatric reactions that occur during emergence from anesthesia. And it may range from dreams and dysphoria to hallucination and delirium. Other than that, ketamine also has some other side effects, which are hypertension, increased heart rate, tonic-clonic movements, and increased intracranial pressure, which absolutely is a controversial. <laughs> yeah, I'll be talking about that later. So let's do a small poll here. How many of you have witnessed the re-emergence phenomena in your patients while receiving uh, ketamine? I haven't yet. Um, yet to see any. 
I've seen just one and that was a good one. And by good one, I mean that the patient had a pleasant experience. And trust me, I've used ketamine in a lot of patients. I haven't seen any either. So between the four of us, we must have given ketamine in about four to 500 patients in the past three or four years. And we've seen just one reaction. All right. Uh, thanks, Vasil, for letting our listeners know a little bit about how ketamine works. Now, moving on to Kushagra, why don't you give us a basic rundown on how ketamine affects the respiratory physiology, dude? Absolutely, sir. So, going um, to the extremely beautiful winter season that we have in Delhi, <laughs> pun intended, we do get a lot of asthma exacerbations in COPD in our ED, plus a general trend of rising number of acute heart failures. This makes non-invasive ventilation's efficacy comparable to the hammer of thought. Huh. I'm sure there's no evidence to that yet. Of course, of course. But hypoxia in such patients makes them altered and they end up combating the NIV therapy. No doubt, yeah. But NIV is one of the best tools uh, that we have to manage the subset of patients that you mentioned. But where does ketamine come into play? So, unlike other anesthetics, uh, ketamine relaxes the bronchular musculature and it basically prevents the bronchoconstriction induced by histamine. So being an NMD antagonist, it activates your respiratory effort and it promotes bronchodilation. This unique feature, uh, talked up with properties discussed by Dr. Vasil, makes it an ideal drug to facilitate non-invasive ventilation patients who are basically combating the therapy. So have you used ketamine and does it help in non-invasive ventilation? Absolutely. Yes, we have. And if you look at the basic functioning of the NIV, it is positive pressure ventilation. And when there is pressure, compliance and discomfort come into play. And I'm pretty sure in the past two years during the COVID waves, a lot of our patients uh, were put on NIVs, right? I was posted in the red zone and yes, it did come into play. And our experience with ketamine as an agent for procedural sedation was pretty good. We do get a lot of patients who are in severe respiratory distress, either because of a pulmonary or a cardiogenic cause. Or if they were a COVID patient and COVID pneumonitis and ARDS, you used a lot of them, uh, right? All right, so why don't you go ahead and talk more about some cases that you might have seen. Uh, So when it comes to exacerbation of bronchial asthma, in 2015, Kowalski and his team, they resuscitated a non-compliant asthmatic patient to BiPAP therapy with ketamine boluses, stating that initial attempts at BiPAP had failed as the patient would push away the respiratory therapist and was becoming increasingly agitated. And so that's, it, that's, that's similar to a lot of cases that we also see where pa- patients become, uh, you know, combative. Absolutely. And as a knee-jerk response, intubation equipment was brought to the bedside and a 50 milligram bolus of ketamine was given. What was observed that the patient was, that when the patient dissociated and BiPAP was applied with continuous albuterol solution flowing, the blood gas showed improvement on an effect of 100%. Several repeat bonuses of 50 milligrams ketamine were given approximately at an interval of 5 to 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah, I, I, sorry, I remember that. I think they had given a dose of about 300 milligrams by True. the end of it. Yes. And after 40 minutes, an ABG showed a better pH and lower PCO2 levels. After this point, no further ketamine was needed because the patient was able to tolerate the BiPAP Blood gas improved, was shifted to the intensive care unit, switched to nasal cannulas and discharged after two, two days after his initial arrival to the AD in, pretty good, in a pretty good state. That's a good case. Similarly, an article published in the Indian Journal of Critical Care Medicine in 2019 documents how our team 
managed a crashing non compliant distressed patient with ketamine to facilitate non vasoventilation ventilation true but you know these are all case reports and uh, even i've read through a few of them and ketamine has been used to you know facilitate non invasive ventilation in a lot of patients with different pathologies yes we have used ketamine multiple times in our department for non compliant patients requiring you know nid support or as i would like to call it dissociate to associate what does this that has... mean <laughs> so once the patient gets dissociated the association to the nid improves and becomes better and this leads to a reduction in intubations and putting patients on vents that's true i'm pretty sure we've reduced the need for intubations and increased morbidities in such patients uh, over the past few years thanks sushagar i'm sure listeners would have uh, you know found your dissociate to associate point quite interesting uh, and would have taken some pointers so let's move ahead right megs so it seems that we have used ketamine for a lot of other procedures in our ed right yep yep intubations and iv sedations and also joint reductions that is quite a wide spectrum yeah i particularly liked using it for joint reductions and what do you think about it well we have successfully used ketamine for ankle shoulder and elbow dislocations in our emergency in fact in a 2015 study when they used iv ketamine at sub dissociative doses they found its analgesic effectiveness and apparent safety profile to be comparable to iv morphine for short term treatment for acute pain in the ed but however ketamine has been much publicized to cause distressing reemergence phenomena like we talked about yeah, but really seen in our department true in fact uh, extensive literature review which was done in 2008 reviewed more than 70000 patients and they found only a single adverse cardiorespiratory event of lasting significance in an adult which was attributed to this drug more studies which studied ketamine monotherapy on the rate of psychiatric events to be only about 10 to 20%. However, they found sedating agents being highly effective for both preventing and terminating these reemergence reactions. And also pre-induction counseling, provision of music have been found successful in reduction the occurrence. We don't have music in our department. <laughs> yeah, that we don't, but we do focus on pre-induction counseling. Exactly. so the decisions we make as clinicians should be informed by the evidence and by the data and the fiction should be left behind the risk benefit ratio of ketamine also needs to be considered at each level of individual patient the discussion of safety to be taken in context with the discussion of benefit so in nearly every study that studied ketamine in comparison to another treatment arm treatment arm they found ketamine to be superior that's true uh, ketamine should be individualized which i believe rather than be a blanket drug for all patients right so i don't know about you guys but i have noticed a lot of people upstairs and in eds around the world scared of using it yeah but does it not increase the intracerebral pressure and is it not contraindicated in traumatic brain injury that is a good question kushagra and this is one of my favorite dogmas that still exists in a lot of places Shapiro and his uh, colleagues conducted a study on seven patients about 40 years back in 1972 and they found ketamine to increase the intracranial pressure in five patients but they all had abnormal CSF flow and intracranial pathologies and this made the world stand up and avoid ketamine in TBI patients for a long long time oh, oh okay 
Yeah. And but after that, there have been a lot of studies and reviews which have debunked this myth of ketamine increasing the ICP. Even recently, there was a systematic review done by Cohen, which concluded that ketamine has actually no effect on the ICP or the cerebral perfusion or the outcome of the patients. And in fact, there have been a lot of studies which have shown that ketamine has a beneficial effect on ICP. And I've been through quite a few papers and I can assure you that it is safe to use in traumatic brain injuries. True, we have used it for intubations for a wide range of indications from traumatic brain injuries to heart failures to sepsis. And I don't believe we have had any issues. That's right. And we have been using delayed sequence intubations a lot, haven't we? Absolutely. Yeah. So in 2015, Scott Weingart, one of the rock stars of emergency medicine, I'm sure most of our listeners know who he is, published a paper in uh, the annals regarding delayed sequence intubations. It was a definite game changer. So DSIs are basically for the non-compliant patients and those who have a physiologically difficult airway. Now, those who do not know what a physiologically difficult airway is, we would be covering that in one of our later episodes on this podcast. And we started working on the DSI techniques in 2016. In the last two years, I'm pretty sure we have used ketamine in more than about 300 patients for conducting DSIs. And I've seen that ketamine actually buys you time. And it made me realize how rushing into intubations is not required. So yeah, so when I joined this department in 2019, I'd never heard of DSIs or you know, use ketamine for intubations. Intubations that I used to perform and used to see were always rushed and chaotic. But post joining this department, uh, my techniques have changed and focus on safe intubations using ketamine has become well more of a routine. Welcome to an academic EM department, Kushavivit. Thank you. So I'm sure the listeners would have understood how we love to use this safe drug for our patients. But this is our protocol and we back it with evidence. I suggest you make your own protocols and do not be scared of using ketamine. Also, it's very important to know that ketamine comes under narcotics control. Yes, that's true. It's kept with the pharmacy and you need to fill annexure 5 just like for morphine and fentanyl. This is because ketamine has been abused over the years. I remember we had a patient who was brought in and was prescribed ketamine earlier for his depression and he had overdosed on it and then was brought to our ED. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, but we sent him back home uh, pretty safe. Thank you, Vasil, Kushagra, and Meghna. I'm sure you've had a good time talking about ketamine. And I'm sure our listeners would have enjoyed a little insight into our use of ketamine in our department. Don't take our word for it. Do your own research and make your own protocols. You will find reading material in the text, which will help you understand ketamine better. Do follow the Desi EM project and stay tuned for the next episode, where I would be discussing as to when to visit an emergency department and what to expect when you're there. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Stay safe. And wish you all a very, very happy new year. 2021 was sort of a disastrous uh, year with the second wave that happened in Delhi. I hope that all of you have a much better and a safer 2022. Stay tuned. See you.